Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Operate, a new tech startup investment and company building platform based here in Southern California. We've got a number of amazing founders already in the Operate family. So if you're looking to join, you're looking for help with your startup, opportunities to work with the next generation of high growth companies, or you want to be part of the startup community, you can go to operatestudio.com to learn more. I'm excited to have Larry Golko with me on the show today, and I've really enjoyed getting to know Larry over the last several months, even though it's been all through Zoom and, and the virtual reality that we now currently uh, exist in. But he's joining me all the way from Boston today. And before we get to hear from Larry, let me give you a quick introduction to him. Uh, I would call Larry a brand guy. He architects them. He coaches executives about them. He helps position them to compete more effectively in this rapidly changing environment that we're in. And he does that across all stages of company, all sizes of companies as well. He founded and moderates the annual CEO Brand Leadership Roundtable at Harvard Business School which is now celebrating, I believe it's 12th year. He also creates and moderates CEO fireside chats, showcasing iconic leading brands and their leaders and the dynamic folks around those brands that are driving their growth and the stories. He also created a, a brand new day retreat, which was a way for him to, to provide immersive experience for company management, in brand building as an experience. And so we'll definitely spend some time talking about that and what he's seen people learn through that retreat on the show today. He's been a mentor, he's been an advisor, he's a coach to many schools, companies, and organizations as well. Larry, you're a multifaceted guy. Thank you for joining me on the Operate Show today. Thank you, Kerry. It's nice to be here. And um, it's nice to be, you know, bi-coastal. That's right. I know in the Boston area, you know, it's getting dark at 415 and it's getting dark and dreary and uh, uh, a couple years ago at this time, I was giving a keynote speech at the University of California in San Diego, and uh, I love your weather, and I would love to be playing golf at Torrey Pines right now instead of being in Boston, believe me. But, you know, we're all doing what, what, what we're doing, and we have to just do the best of what we can, you know, we're handed right now, and hopefully everybody stays safe and stays well, and we come out of this better than, than, we went in, than how we went in, you know? That's right. Well, in, you know, in this environment, we can use a Tory Pines virtual background to uh, remind us I of, love that. Of how beautiful <laughs> it is. But yes, that is a, a great place on this planet for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, Larry, I gave a brief intro to your brand leadership retreat that you started. Right. Um, you know, what led you to create that? Let's, let's start there. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been helping companies build brands for like 30 years and as a consultant, and I really don't like the word consultant, and so I position myself as a, either executive coach, I'm actually a brand strategist, or growth advisor. But consultant to me is just kind of a word that is so commoditized, I just don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, you know, I've been doing this for years, but I've never had a product or a program that I can really hang my hat on in my brand name, something mm -hmm. specific. So for example, for years, Carrie, you know, if I knew years ago, I would say, hey, Carrie, who do you know in your area? You might want to recommend me to have a conversation with a chat. Maybe they want to engage me, help them take the brand next level. And you give me a few names and I give a proposal. You know, but I, I've done that for years and years. And many of us have been doing that. So I said, you know, I think it's time to reinvent myself, reposition myself. Besides being a, 
uh, growth advisor and a brand strategist, you know, I want to create a program. I, I really don't want to write a book. I started to title a book. The book takes a long time, so I put that aside for now. But I want to create a program or a venue that no one else is doing. So I've always been telling people, and as I advise clients, you know, don't try to be the best, be an only. What can you mean only at? And right now, as I, as I Googled the world and so forth, nobody's really um, uh, facilitating offering a one-day retreat. And so I decided I launched it three years ago, and then I launched what I call the Brand New Day Roundtable last December, which is more of a quasi-open enrollment. Well, mm -hmm. naturally, with COVID-19, uh, all the engagements this year have turned into virtual or gone away, naturally, because mm -hmm. the worst place you want to be right now is in hospitality or in the meeting business. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I, I got involved in the meeting business, but it's a really fascinating program. So what I, the reason I did it, it um, what, and, and a quick overview, uh, Carrie, what I do is 20 people from a company meet with me, um, no more than three people from marketing. And the president CEO usually engages me and the, co the company size could be a startup. It could be early stage, middle market, um, any size at all. The most important thing is that the senior management team and the CEO or president is determined to take their brand to the next level. Mm -hmm. And what we do in this one day journey, is I start off with a keynote speech, not to, not to hear myself speak, but help frame the minds of the people in the room so they can think how I think for the rest of the day. And the beauty of the program is by two in the afternoon, the ideas and initiatives we're honing in on, we're tweaking, are not in the radar screen at nine in the morning. It's a journey and we get there. And for every client, getting there means something different, but we get there and usually we have five initiatives that we're going to embark on and sometimes the client does it themselves sometimes they might engage me but so that's why i created it and um, i love it it's just like again um you know when, when you're a coach or you're a keynote speaker or i'm creating this brand new day program there's one word that's that's really um embedded in all of this it's always educating we're always educating people you know what i'm saying just like in your gut business you're educating people even though they help them drive more success we're always educating so this is a venue that i really love and um and again, a lot of CEOs I've talked to have never seen or heard about this. In fact, they've never had 20 people um, from all walks of life in their company get together for one day and talk about the brand and take a fresh look, a deep dive experience, very collaborative. And, and I don't want to call it an idea think tank. It's really an idea exchange with a lot of people that the senior team wants them to participate in. And I keep it 20 people because I, when I first did it, Carrie, I did it 30 people and 10 people never spoke. It was almost 10 people like, like watching a tennis match. Mm -hmm. So 20 people is intimate. And basically even virtually now, we try to create like a boardroom lifestyle feeling intimate so people feel comfortable. And it's working so far virtually, uh, but naturally we all love to be in person. Sure. So can you walk me through an example of a brand and sort of what, what came out? Of, you said, you know, by the end of the day, there's some really yeah. rich exchange. Can you, can you walk us through you know, an example that's really been powerful in, in the outcomes. Sure. One of them, one of my programs was with Johnson Johnson Orthopedic. And again, when we start at nine o'clock, there's no, I have like 40 topics and questions, but I don't know where we're going either, but we get mm -hmm. there. So JJ, before, actually before I had the program, I went and visited several orthopedic surgeons in Boston at the major hospitals. I want to talk to them about orthopedics and surgery and so forth. Because I want to be, a, I need to be abreast of the client's industry, their product, and what's happening out there firsthand. And so when I went in there, I saw uh, one doctor says to me, you know, um, a lot of these kids, especially, they don't take care of their casts. When they come in, you know, we give them a white cast. Usually it's, it's autographed by all their friends. 
at the end, Carrie, it's like always frayed, it's green, it's like, it's like mildewy, and they don't take care of them. And we need people to take care of the cast for a better recovery. Also, I noticed I went into the room, and thankfully, I never had a broken bone, but have you ever had a broken bone at all, cast at all, yourself? I have not. Okay, you go in there, people are almost screaming in tears, the saw they use to cut off a cast sounds like or feels like you're cutting your arm off. It is, I'm telling you, it is scary. The material is flying all in the ear. It, it is not a pretty sight. So I knew that information coming in. So we had the program and by um, 12 o'clock, I, I said to them, you know, what I'm hearing and so forth, I said, what the problem is right now is um, you, have to, you need your patients to be really more emotionally connected to their cast, take better care. Because they also mentioned me in the room, the doctors are really, um, disenchanted with the consumer not really taking care of the cast properly mm. and therefore that affects the mending and the healing time. So I said what you got to do is you I think you have to expand and create a new brand category and I called it um, um, uh, materials like, like cast remove materials for a brand. And I remember the VP of manufacturing said to me Larry what, what are you talking about how can a human being be emotionally connected to a cast? I said well do you think little Tommy at 10 years old will be will be take care of his cast if it has, for example, a um, San Diego Padres logo on it, or an LA Dodgers logo on it, or a New England Patriots logo on it, you bet your bibby they will. And then, wow, I never thought about that. So long story short, we made a decision for J&J Orthopedic to get involved, expand the brand, new category, into the cash removal systems, and they asked me to um, spearhead it, and I got the licenses with the Major League Baseball, NFL, and so on and so on, Bobby, camouflage, uh, neon, all kinds of great selections. So therefore, when you go into the doctors, you can pick which cast you want, mm. and you will then emotionally, you're so, again, you are emotionally connected, you'll take better care of it. And so if I went, for example, to Dr. Carey, Dr. Carey says, oh, I only have white. Oh, thank you, Dr. Carey. Mommy, mommy, let's go to Dr. Larry. He has uh, the LA Dodgers, you're sure. gonna lose business. So all of a sudden, talk about the push-pull strategy, so the doctors started calling up at J&J, hey, I want, I want those materials. Mm -hmm. So long and short, one of, the, one of the outcomes is we created a whole new brand line extension that generated $12.4 million in two years of incremental revenue, but more importantly, they expanded their brand to a category they didn't have. Mm -hmm. In addition, I mentioned earlier about the cast being so loud, uh, there's a competitor called Stricker. And anyhow, J&J took a year and a half and they were determined after my program, again, this is after one day, so they're really, they're really into me for one day investment, but the one day investment of eight hours is intensive and we get there and, and great things happen. And a year and a half later, J&J introduced the lowest decibel um, saw removal cast mm. saw in the industry. So those things came out, two out of the five came out of it. So that's an example, which mm -hmm. I love that example because it's a commoditized thing of just wrapping a cast with white and the beauty of the company um, expanding their brand category to a whole new brand they never had of before, creating a buzz in the industry, and also with the saw, creating a new technology that beat up the competitor. So when somebody went in, and actually the consumer had no idea what saw they're using, but it wasn't scaring the hell out of them, mm -hmm. like, like their arm was coming off, you know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. So that, that's yeah. an example that I think of that really was really pretty cool. And as I mentioned, at nine in the morning, I had no idea where we were going, neither did they. And, you know, quote unquote, we just got there. Yeah, very cool. Great story. Thank so, you. so Larry, at what point did you determine that your superpower was brand building? <laughs> superpower. Um, 
You know, I, I thought about that. Um, somebody asked me that about two weeks ago during an interview. You know, it came, it all came back to when I got, I got my master's at Babson College and Babson is known and recognized as the number one entrepreneurial school in the country mm-hmm. for 25 years straight uh, by U.S. World News Report, Forbes, and so forth. For some reason, the school has great brain identification and awareness internationally in Europe and China and domestically. For some reason, in the West Coast of the United States and California, the Babson brand is just not as well known mm-hmm. as other places. I don't know why, but it just as is. So anyhow, I, I got my MBA there, and I took two courses there, and one was consumer behavior, and one was creative problem solving. And I really, it opened my mind that one time in consumer behavior, we were talking about why Lay's potato chips, I mean, you know, it's funny how, as we get older, I can't remember the movie I saw last week, but I can remember something that happened, you know, like 30 years ago, right? <laughs> so so the, the professor was talking about the consumer behavior attributes and why Lay's potato chips was the number one ship in Detroit and why's potato chip happened to be the number one ship in Boston. I, thought it, I found it fascinating. And creative problem solving, it, it really pushed you to the edge of thinking, almost like, you know, you, you, know, you feel that like sometimes the exercise, take a paper clip, uh, tell me a thousand uses of it. So it got my, my mind to think. So because of those two courses, I became not just curious, but really curious about consumer behavior, about why we buy what we buy. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that's my parents. I said, my mother, why do you go to that salon versus the other salon? Or my father, Dad why, Dad, why do you buy the Chrysler versus the Ford? And all of a sudden, my mind was spinning. I'm saying, you know, this is really cool stuff. And I think that was the, um, that was the defining moment to make me want to really research and study more brands. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, why we buy what we buy, according to our lifestyle, our demographics, our psychographics, our egos, everything. So a friend of mine just got a Mercedes. And he said to me, Larry, do you know why I bought the Mercedes? I said, why? He said, one word, ego. I said, what do you mean, Jeff? He goes, when I'm driving that car and I see the Mercedes logo on the steering wheel, I feel like a million bucks. And I'm sure many people even clothing, you know? I mean, people see the Polo logo or the Louis Vuitton logo in the bag. I mean, really, I'm just saying, is, a, is, a, is any women's bag worth $2,000? It's not even leather? No, rationally, no. But emotionally, if you want that product and you want that Louis Vuitton, and even if you paid out your credit card, 12 months installments, if you want it, you're gonna find the money. So I just find the whole consumer behavior, consumer affection really fascinating. And that basically has led me for decades to just focus in on you know, building brands. Great story. I- I think I have to hone in on that one word, though, is is curiosity, right? Curiosity, yeah. that's, that's the number one attribute that I hire for when I'm hiring people because particularly in startups, right. there's a lot of need for curiosity to go figure things out. And so clearly in your case, that curiosity around why do people buy what they buy? Why do we do what we do? led you on that journey to develop a passion yeah. for brands and why, why does this brand win versus this brand and what, what uh, caused them to stand out. So super cool. Thank you for sharing that. Well, you know, Carrie, just to follow up on that a second, I gave a speech a while ago in Vegas and the speaker before me was the founder of Zappos mm-hmm. and he's, and someone asked, how do you hire your employees? Cause it really uh, piggybacks on what you just said. He said two things. We hire them on curiosity. We want to make sure they love our brand, love our shoes, love what we do. And number two, we want to make sure they live and breathe. They're a good brand ambassador. What we do is after one month of being employed, we offer that new employee $2,000 to leave. 
And if they leave, we're happy. That means we didn't make a good hiring decision. So they, they purge people out immediately within one month to those people who I'm curious and who are not living and breathing the Zappos brand and living the culture. And, and, and you know, they're not mad, they're saying, thank you, it just didn't work out. But I think it's pretty cool and um, it's pretty bold and disruptive to offer an employee a $2,000 to split after, two, after one month, you know? Pretty cool. Right. Yeah. yeah, great. That's a that's a, a really unique strategy that they use there. Yeah. So as you think about brands over your your several decades of doing this that you really admire, who yeah. what brands would you hold up and say, I just really admire what they've done or what they sample? Yeah, well, you know something. I believe the best brands out there are specialists, not generalists, people that own something. Mm. And sometimes I give an example, like in department stores, for example, there's a little makeup department. And that makeup department became a best-known brand called Sephora. Mm -hmm. So I admire Sephora. They're focused. They know what they do. They know what they don't do. You know, they're not into other categories. They're into women's makeup, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what they're famous for. And if you go back in time, even, it might sound silly, but when I give a keynote speech, my first slide I say to people is that if you really want to be a great brand, be the Q-tip of your industry. Mm -hmm. Q-tip, again, when you think of it, is singular. They stand for one thing. When someone comes to your house, Carrie, do they say to you, hey, Carrie, did you have, do you have any cotton swabs? No. And it's, it's more powerful than Kleenex. Because years mm -hmm. ago, people said, give me a Kleenex. Now it's give me, do you have, do you have a paper tissue? And Xerox, they used to say, give me a Xerox copy. And now it's make a copy. But nobody says, give me a cotton swab. So again, Q-tip is singular. They're not into shampoo. They're not into conditioner. They're not into baby wipes. All they do is one thing. And they've been acquired several times by different companies, but they stick to their knitting. So I admire that kind of brand. Mm. I admire a brand like Nordstrom's that's never had a return policy in 85 years, okay? You, when you go to Nordstrom's, their goal is, how can I make your visit happy? And they empower their clerk, who could be a salesperson from college, to make an adjustment on the $750 they're empowered. So they don't want you to go away mean or whatever. You have no slip, no problem. I mean, I mean to me, that's great almost like L.L. Bean for years did the same thing. L.L. Bean, um, the only, uh, my friend's uh, uh, sister worked there and during orientation, they teach you one word. The word is yes. Hmm. Can, I, can I return it? Yes. It's broken, yes. The zippers are working, yes. I mean, yes, yes, yes. And to me, those companies that keep their, those companies that treat their customers like their best friends are the ones that I admire. I mean, other, other companies I really admire, um, I mean, there, there's so many, but I would say even you look at, People like um, uh, uh, Tide, you know, Tide Stick and Bombas Socks and Bose, you know, they're, they're, they're brand category leaders. You know, take Bombas. Bombas started as a purpose-driven company. In six years, only two people have left Bombas. Mm. That's it, two. And in six years, Bombas has um, donated over 39 million pairs of socks to homeless. They started with a purpose. They wanted to help the homeless and socks was the product. And during the pandemic, the socks business has gone through the roof. Why? Because in a time that we're really feeling bad about ourselves, we're feeling down, we're feeling like Michelle Obama said, everybody has some low-grade depression. Bombas is a product that makes us feel good. And Bombas socks are colorful, they're comfortable. But hey, why not I'll buy a pair of socks? I mean, like the CEO Tablet said to me the other day, Larry, Larry, you know what's fashionable? Anything above your belly button today right. or anything on your feet. You walk around the house. Um, men's, I mean, Carrie, when's the last time you put on a pair of men's shoes or loafers? 
we're wearing we're wearing sneakers and wearing flip-flops right mm -hmm. so so socks are a comfort item so so i admire them because they're purpose-driven i admire other brands purpose-driven like tom's like newman's own like Wobby parker i admire companies that are doing good and good brand citizens because i always i was told years ago from the ceo of Merck pharmaceuticals purpose before profit mm. if you have a perfect purpose or not saying you got to start as a purpose but if you create a purpose that you're it's near and dear to your heart you will win the hearts and minds of the consumer mm. good good yeah. stuff well thank you you're welcome so good transition to you this has been a wild year i mean we were talking a little bit about this before very yeah. disruptive for a lot of companies we've had yeah. many that have been forced to change quickly things like all of a sudden moving their people from offices to work from home or they've had to change their go-to-market strategy or in some cases they've had to invest in things many years ahead of probably what they were planning i mean digital transformation uh, as an example has has been accelerated greatly in a lot of organizations so from your perspective, as you think about the companies and the brands that you talk to, how do you feel like people are adjusting in this environment? Very difficult. You know, even today, eight months later, um, you know, anybody who wanted to try to sell something from March until maybe June, July, was a brand was considered insensitive, saying, do you understand what's going on here? I mean, we didn't know what was going on in March and April. We all thought it was going to be over maybe by June, July. I mean, being in Boston, I just want to make sure I can get to the beach and play golf in the summertime. Mm. Here is eight months later. Um, I'm finding that unless you're an attorney, or you're a um, a uh, accounting firm, or you're a contractor, um, people are being hammered and people are worried. And um, I was talking to a lawyer yesterday. Her divorce business is up the is going through the roof. People getting divorced. I mean, well, let's, let's face it. We're together twenty four seven, and the, the the divorce. A major law firm in Boston. The divorce business is booming. Hmm. And so I think people like that, they don't need to be in front of people to sell a product because they're service-driven. I think anything service-driven is doing okay to a degree. But I find that, you know, and I hear the word pivoting all the time. And, you know, I'm pivoting, Carrie, you're pivoting, we're all pivoting, but it's still, it's still a challenge. I mean, anybody says it's easy, even though like you, you and I today are doing a virtual, you know, uh, interview, it's great. And I, I love being with you. But I mean, I wish you and I were talking in person on, on a podium and, and with, in front of 400 people. I wish I could, I could meet the people and shake their hand and give them a hug and have a cup of coffee with them and have interpersonal connection, but we can't. So, so anybody listening to the, this podcast or whatever, I appreciate them listening to it. And I know they're going to get a lot of good information out of our conversation, but I, I, wish, I wish we could talk to them as well, but we can't. So I'm just saying that this COVID-19 has just, people have pivoted. They're trying all kinds of things. Um, there is a little over-communications because people are groping. How can I reach my customer? How mm -hmm. can I reach my prospect? You know, and, and I'll tell you, uh, myself included, before COVID-19, and I've been doing this for many years, I was maybe on LinkedIn, maybe one hour a week. You know, so busy having coffee with people, having meetings, you know, networking, you know, like you, everybody who's listening here. We're all moving and grooving. We're doing things. I'm probably on LinkedIn two hours a day. Mm. People, in fact, Kerry, you and I found each other on mm -hmm. LinkedIn. And so I've never used LinkedIn before. And now it's like, it's a focal point, but LinkedIn is really um, powerful. I got to know the CEO of Converse Shoes through LinkedIn, and he was on my Harvard program last Thursday night. I had never met the gentleman, but we've Zoomed three, four times. And he's like a new friend of mine, just like you and I. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that the, the LinkedIn, I, you know, some, not the LinkedIn's of the world, LinkedIn, I believe, has been a dramatic um, asset to people who want to reach out to find like-minded people, 
not really selling something, just make a friend, not a sale, just make more friends and engage in conversation and see if something possibly some synergy might happen in the future. And I think that's the best we can do right now. And hopefully with this, you know, they keep talking about the vaccine, but you know, sometimes I even wonder, I, I kind of wonder, I, I'm t I speculate, how will it be when we re-enter the world of mm. what, and I don't call it normal, Carrie, I call it like, it's just how it always was. But how are we going to adjust to re-entering into a world of going on a, a train again, a plane again, a bus again, meeting you for coffee, shaking your hand? I mean, how are we going to adapt to that? That, that was a big unknown. But, um, you know, I, I think a majority of people, you see it on TV. So I, I say to myself, my family, my wife, if the only thing I'm affected on is right now disruption to a degree of income, when I watch TV, are people who have food for their babies, their children, they're not water, they're being evicted. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you see what I see in TV. It is horrific what we're seeing. And if the only thing you and I and some of the folks here are listening in on are having a maybe a, a bleep or a blurp in our income, we're, we're really blessed. We're very That's lucky it. compared to what we're seeing people's, because you and I can control getting new clients and building our business or whatever. But people who are out of jobs or have no insurance and have no food for family, they can't control it. They are really hard times. And I empathize. I wish I, I wish I could go to Texas and other places and help them out because I think as a as a as a community, as a com as a as a as a country, I think the one thing I've seen that people have gotten kinder mm -hmm. and, and more empathetic. And yeah, kind is really the word. A lot of my neighbors and people they're reaching out, Larry, how you doing? Are you okay? I mean, I think people are just getting kinder because we're we're worrying so much and we we're worrying about our fellow neighbor and our family and we're just worrying in general. And we have right we've right to be. Because we've never experienced or witnessed this, this unprecedented, I call it a plague. Some people call it epidemic, pandemic. It's a plague. Like, we've never witnessed it in our country. We've seen it overseas, but it's never been in our own backyard. So that, that's what's really scary. But, you know, yeah, and, I, and I think that's, I mean, you know, I, I think that is potentially, you know, I'm an optimist. This, I think that this is the silver lining me too, of, me too. of this. This is how we become more centered, grounded intentional in how we live and how we uh how we relate to our fellow we yeah. we we definitely have had an era that is probably longer than you and i would even uh acknowledge of comfort and complacency right. and disassociation to a large degree as well and i think this has forced us all to really reevaluate what values matter uh, how we can, to your point, help each other, be kind to one another, be a little bit more selfless in how yeah. we live and how we are. And, and yeah. so to me, that is hopefully the, the more permanent uh, aspect of, of what comes through the other side. There's a lot of work to be done mm. in this country to um, create a, a more thriving uh, United States for everybody. And I think that, that, uh, yeah is something that we all can probably get behind. And, I, and I'm hopeful that there is a rise in support and, uh, you know, almost a, a patriotism mm. across the whole country that says this is still the greatest place in the world, yeah. but we have to caretake it. We have to take right. care of each other mm. to keep it that way. You know, but I'm hoping post pandemic, we don't lose those mindsets and those behaviors and all of a sudden, three or four weeks later, when everyone's back to normal, it goes by the wayside. And all of a sudden, we go back to some ways how it was. 
which sometimes has not been very pretty. That's you know? right. I agree. Totally agree. I'm going to be all the way. Yeah. So, so Larry, you work with a lot of early stage companies. Obviously you work with more mature brands, several of the ones that you've mentioned. As you think about entrepreneurs and this topic of, of brand, how, how do you explain the idea of a brand to uh, an entrepreneur? Yeah. Well, I say to entrepreneurs, I mentioned, um, you know, it's interesting. I want to clarify something that, you know, I know in my LinkedIn and my bio, my profile, it says I have, you know, my name brands podcast at CBS Boston. We bring in iconic CEOs, you know, CEO Delta Airlines, Wayfair, Jim Perdue, big brands at Harvard, big brands on my TV show, big brands. That's my media world. But in my Larry Golko um, growth advisor brand strategist world, my, my sweet spot is mid-sized companies, startup companies. If Delta Airlines or J&J asked me, hey, Larry, do you want to do a project? I'd love to do it, but they're not my client. They're not mm-hmm. my target. Mm-hmm. And some people kind of think sometimes that they can't, that I'm not reachable except because I'm too expensive because I just deal with J&J. And I'm telling you, that can't be further from the truth. And you and I mm-hmm. both know this. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're entrepreneurs ourselves. But, you know, and you have the word Harvard, and I, believe me, I love my relationship with Harvard for 14 years, but the, the downside is sometimes, sometimes people think that, gee, if you're not like a Harvard person, Larry's not going to talk to you. Sure. I grew up in Boston. My father was a mechanic. My mother worked for an insurance company. My values have never changed. Mm-hmm. I am that same person, I really am, that I am today. And so therefore, people listening, I don't want to think that at all, that I just deal with these big brands and I have no clue what the little person might be like. I, I am a little person. I live little people, okay? Mm. So I just want to clarify that because somebody sure. yesterday called me and said to me, do you work with small companies? And I went, well, what do you mean? Because in my media world, it's usually high profile, you know, uh, CEOs, which is what you need to do because we, like, we love listening and lessons learned from the CEO of Delta Airlines, sure. from, the, you know, from the, the CEO, Chairman of Bose. We want to learn from them, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, with entrepreneurs, I, I always tell them when I first meet with them, and it, you have to do a deep dive. You have to do a discovery. And it, I know people say those words, but you have to do a deep dive. Say, you know, you know, what's our brand voice? Mm-hmm. What, what do we want to be famous for? You know, and one of my keynotes, uh, Carrie, um, is it's just titled "Write the Book You Want to Read: mm-hmm. Seven Powerful Strategies to Drive Brand Performance and Business Growth." You know, what's the book you want to read that that Three five years later, it's going to describe you. Mm-hmm. So I say to entrepreneurs who are startups, even Mass Challenge, who are just getting just getting you know the first round of, of first round of equity, I say to them, you know, what are you really selling? And I'll give you an example again with a big brand. Okay, Howie Davidson. Howie Davidson makes motorcycles. They're not selling motorcycles. Howie is selling freedom. That's right. In the freedom business, and Boston Children's Hospital is not in the medical business or the research business. Uh, the um, wellness business, they're in the hope business. They're selling hope, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and you can go on, you know, like um, also um, uh, Rich Carlton, they're selling mem- magical moments. And life is good. They're selling vibes and optimism. They're not selling T-shirts. So I just give those examples because then I take those examples that I've learned from my interviews and I say to an entrepreneur who might have five employees of thought employees, you know, what are you really selling? Let's spend two or three hours and let's really do a deep dive exploration because it's not you're selling a, a mug or you're selling a new kind of fertilizer. What are you really, really selling? 
you know? And, you know, I, I, I met with a guy the other day, vir, um, virtually, and he is in the golf um, tournament business for conferences. And he, his, his website always golf 18 holes and you'll pick your pairings, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I said, Javi, what business are you in? So, no, Larry, I'm in the golf business. I said, no, you're not in the golf business. I said, what you are in, and he, I blew him away. And but, I mean, this is how I think. And this is what kind of maybe from, again, from college is, creative problem solving. I said, Javi, what business you're in? You're in the fourth, you're in, I would say, the first four hours of wow. That's what you're selling, the first four hours of wow. Because, Carrie, every conference and everybody is listening, every meeting and conference you go to, what happens the first morning? It's like usually, usually it's a golf tournament. Mm -hmm. Then the opening session starts at 4 o'clock, and it's two days, whatever. But the first impact, the first moment of touch, is the experience of the golf tournament. So this guy, Harvey, he's not selling golf. He's selling an emotional connection. He's selling the first hours of wow. Mm -hmm. And that, those people are playing golf. If they have a great golf experience, say, wow, this conference is going to be really pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That's a bad experience. They're going to say, oh, my God, this was, it was, it was disruptive. It wasn't organized. Ugh, I, I hope the rest of the conference is better. That's right. So he, and and when, I, when I was, when I was um, talking uh, a few years ago to the I – just, I, I just thought of another golf example – to the head of golf for Marriott International, he told me the most important thing of his brand is his bathrooms. When you go to a golf course, male or female – the first thing you do before you tee off first hole, you go to the bathroom. Mm. If that bathroom has paper towels all over the floor, it's filthy, it's odor, what does it say about your food, your hotel rooms, your mindset, what's important to you about mm. your brand? Mm -hmm. So I tell these, I, I, I share the entrepreneurs these, these examples saying, what are you really selling? What's your brand voice? What's the book you want to read, okay? Um, What's authentic about you? Why should I buy your brand versus any of the brand in the space you live in? And be authentic and real. Don't just tell me we, we, we have a better one because anybody can be good or better. That's easy. But what are you doing to be exceptional and real distinctive and authentic and unique that is hard for a competitor to dislodge you? So I go through this idea exchange and collaboration with them. And many say, you know, Larry, I've had other consultants per se, and no one's ever asked me that. They always give me like professorial textbook stuff. Well, textbook stuff is not going to win. So, so I think that's what sets me apart from other people. That's how I think. I get into pricing later on. I don't care about pricing. I want to know. And you know, also, I also tell entrepreneurs, many entrepreneurs, and maybe you find the same thing, Carrie, in your experience. Many entrepreneurs are, are, find it hard. They, they shy away from charging a premium price. They're scared. Mm -hmm. They're scared of charging too much money. Mm -hmm. But, and I get it. But if your experience that you're delivering is inferior, then you can't charge a premium price. But if you feel your, your service or your product, okay, is a premium product and has unique value that, that really is perceived like any other brand, you should be proud to charge a, a premium product. I'm not saying rip people off, sure. but there's nothing, nothing wrong with charging a, a price that aligns with the value and benefit derivative with that product. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong at all. That's right. You know, and, and, and many products you and I buy, we think they're overpriced. I know, I mean, seriously. When you think of a cheese pizza, is it worth $22? I think it's nuts. And honestly, I won't buy it. I'll buy a pizza $25 with four toppings. But a cheese pizza? I mean, I, th I think it's crazy, but people are buying it. But that's yeah. consumer behavior. What I buy, what you buy, other people buy. We have, different, we have different mindsets. And it's like, you know, a friend of mine uh, founded Wills Up, the private aviation company. I have, I have friends of mine 
who are very, very affluent, they can afford a private jet, but they don't, they don't see the value of paying $34,000 round trip to fly in a private jet from Boston to Fort Lauderdale. They'll fly first class, they'll buy their wife a $20,000 diamond ring, whatever it might be, but they don't place a priority, even though they have the money, so it's a mindset. So I say to the entrepreneurs, think of your customers, what's their mindset? And also, I also say to them, um, we want to break down the barrier saying no. Because usually entrepreneurs will tell me how great the product is, oh, it's amazing, it does this, everything, fine. I know the story, I get it, fine. But after you tell your story to a potential customer, why do you hear them say, you know, thank you, but now nah, I'll pass. I'm going to go to somebody else. Why do you hear the word no? So I want to focus on with an entrepreneur, why do you hear the word no? Sometimes more than why you hear the word yes. Because mm -hmm. we all know why yes is. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't fix no, you're going to hear a lot more no's. But sometimes if you find out what the no's are, it could be one little thing and you go, you'll go, you'll you go, gee, I never thought of that. And all of a sudden you'll fix that no and you'll see more brand loyalty and consumer affection for your product. Mm. Very good. Well, there's so much, so much gold. I, you, I know you're some Carrie. You and I can talk for two hours because we're, we're in the same world, but we don't have two hours, but you know, like we have so much to talk about and it's all good stuff, but um, you know. Yeah. So, so much good there. So, so Larry, yeah. Uh, let's go, uh, you know, into one other area, you know, sure. I, I meet a lot of founders, uh, they talk about names, the name of the right. company, the name of the product. How important do you find naming is in that brand building process? You know, naming, naming is a really interesting topic because first of all, it's very important. Um, it's extremely important, but you build your brand voice from the name. You know, for, there are names that are descriptive, and names that, I mean, really, can you imagine years ago, if you were in the boardroom, what maybe was it um, 25 years ago, maybe, and someone said, you know, let's name our brand Yahoo. Mm -hmm. You would say, what? What, what? Yahoo? What are you nuts? What, why would we call it Yahoo? That's like, Yahoo! I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? When you, when you buy Crest toothpaste, what does Crest mean to you? I don't know. When you buy Tide, when you buy Listerine, you know, there's so many brands out there. I mean, how about a brand of shoes called Ugg? Ugg is like almost a negative sounding name. But you, you, you create a brand voice and you, you need a great brand name that's memorable. And experts will say, don't have a brand name more than three um, uh, like syllables, you know, like, or like two, whatever. Mm -hmm. And if, for example, take like Amazon. Amazon, Amazon came out with a Kindle. What's a Kindle? I don't know. But they could have been more um, literal and said, let's call the Amazon auto reader. Could you automatically read? But how boring is auto reader? It's very industrial, commercialized sounding. So you got to say to yourself, you, you want to create a brand name that resonates, that sounds good, but also many times you might need a tagline or something to reinforce what it is. You know, so Kindle might have had Kindle, you know, the all purpose, take anywhere, you know, uh, book reader, whatever it might be. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I, I think you got to be comfortable with it. And it's very subjective. It's like logos. You know, my logo right now, my, my logo is like a, a, a terracotta uh, color, like, like the colors of Italian roofs. And my friend has a company's logo is red and suddenly yellow. And, you know, it's, that's very subjective. And, and, and so is branding. It's like, you know, you just, you know, rebranded your company, you know, to be um, operate, right? And I'm sure you had a reason. And somebody say operate, you mean are you operating on people or, you know, but, but there's a reason for it. And after a while, the people you, you deal with and the people who are clients who would operate is going to be just like Crest and Tide and Biz and mm -hmm. Buzz 
and you know whatever you know what i'm saying like we just get used to it but we don't analyze it you know mm -hmm. like north face or something like that north face is a great brand you know and and canadian goose is a great brand name and because it connotes warmth and they build it up with you know if it's 10 below zero you won't feel cold whatever so it's descriptive and there are other brands that don't do that but but also you know i can think of two brands that they put their name on everything and that's general electric and sony mm -hmm. you know sony handy cameras go sony um um cassette player or sony walkman but that, that's very unusual to have a company put their brand name and everything and and i would tell the audience here new camp new brand levi's is known for blue jeans levi's wanted to create khakis khakis years ago and they failed with khaki levi casual wear and active wear they created dockers 99 percent of the customers out there uh consumers have no idea who sells dockers mm -hmm. and oh we care we buy brands not companies like if you buy Skippy peanut butter, and I got another thing, what does Skippy mean? Skippy? It's a peanut butter. But we know Skippy, right? But do we know who makes Skippy? No, and we don't care, right? We don't care. So I think a brand name is really very personal. It should sound good. I mean, Skippy could be a pair of pants, but it's peanut butter. But sure. we know it is that for, what, 50, 60 years. I remember years ago, it was owned by CBC International. But, um, you know, we know a brand name, um, you know, is something that's near and dear to you. And it has to um, has to feel good. I mean, like my my program, Brand New Day, to me, is very descriptive too. It's basically you come for a day, and it's going to be really a brand new day for your brand because we're going to go places you've never been before. Mm -hmm. And that's why I call it Brand New Day versus I could have called it finesse. I could have called it uh, futuroso. Anything I want, but sure. Brand New Day to me felt the best for me. Mm -hmm. That's why I selected it. Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's a lot in there. That's, that's great stuff, Larry. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing I'll, I'll take away is there isn't a single way to do this. Exactly. Right? You know, I think you, you, you shared a lot of words that I tend to gravitate to as well, which are feeling, authenticity, uh, you know, what, what works for you. I think there, there's a lot in there. Um, for people to think about and and thank you for sharing all that the the other one i'd love your perspective on it how do you think about story and storytelling when it comes to brands okay. well i believe that marketing is all storytelling and i also believe that a great successful brand is not the result of a great marketing campaign it's about building a great business story when you have a great business story like i, I mentioned earlier the name newman's own Newman's Own donates $800 million to children's charities and sadly to, to young kids who are suffering from, from cancer. So when you go to the store and you see the Newman's Own product and it's selling for $249 marinara sauce and you see Barilla selling for $189, but you as a consumer with a story that's behind Newman's Own, you can relate to it and you feel good about it. Again, you mentioned earlier about feeling good. Mm -hmm. You don't mind spending 50 more cents for Newman's own because you know and you feel good. Again, you feel good. There's an emotional connection that the 50 cents more you're paying for Newman's, okay, is going to be going helping children, which is near and dear to your heart. Mm -hmm. Now, does Newman's own make the best pasta, pizza, popcorn, lemonade? I don't know. They make 300 products. I buy a lot of them and they taste great to me. But when I see that, that label, that sign on the pizza, 100% go to charity. I just feel good. So I want to support a brand that I feel is doing good, mm -hmm. okay? And, and then again, um, so in terms of storytelling, that storytelling is powerful. So if you can tell a story uh, like that, it's really pretty cool. Like, I mean, Delta Airlines, 
there's another one, for example, in storytelling, Delta Airlines is the, people don't know it, many people don't know this, they're the largest supplier with the Red Cross of blood to the Red Cross. Hmm. Delta Airlines, um, they have 90,000 employees. Every one of them sleeps with a homeless person, okay, during the year. They pay people to go in the neighborhood and sleep with the homeless person, bring food or blanket, and just learn about them and comfort them. So to me, when the story is out there and you feel good again about the story, we tend to gravitate the brands that align with our values, our mindset, and, and what moves us. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, so brands are not transactional. They are stories. And the most important thing a brand can do is create a meaningful conversation, a meaningful relationship with the consumer. And that goes a long way to brand loyalty. You know, and uh, I just want to share one other thing with you. A, a great test of brand loyalty, I'll give you a supermarket experience. Let's say, you know, um, let, let's say Newman's only had a cereal. I don't think that's they do. Or, or, or whatever, or Kashi, whatever. And let's say all of a sudden there's 40 feet of cereal, right, Kerry? And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, my favorite cereal is out of stock. It's empty. It's totally empty. Well, A, as a consumer, do I go to another supermarket to buy it? B, do I wait for it to be refilled? Or C, do I say, you know something? Yeah, yeah, I'd like Kashi, whatever. I'll buy Special K instead. I'll buy Raisin Bran, whatever. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, and you love Raisin Bran or Special K, it's very hard for your loyal brand, Kashi, whatever it was, get you back because you've already tried something. And until that brand screws up on you, you'll become brand loyal to them. Mm. So that's a real good test of brand loyalty. But in, you know, getting back to your original question, storytelling is key. And the more you can tell something, but don't make it up because people see right through it. You can't fabricate it. It has to be authentic, real, has to be relevant, and it has to resonate. So Very good. Yeah. So we're we're coming up against our time here, Larry. One one. Really? Long... Oh man, come on, Carrie. We can go to an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, you know, one one thing along. You talked about align, aligning to values, aligning yeah. to uh, people. So you know, we're we're doing some work here in this area, trying to align people here in in more of a I'd call it a community brand way. How do we showcase the importance of and it's, I think the need is now greater than ever in this current COVID environment of the importance of the right kind of economy, the right kind of jobs, the right kinds of opportunities for everyone here to, to know, really just create that abundance. So how, as you think about brand, how do you think about the idea of trying to get more people excited and biased to get involved, to participate, to act around an initiative like that? When, when you say here, how do you define the word here? Southern California. Okay, okay. Yeah. I think what you got to do is, I mean, are you, are you talking about like a certain county or the uh, state? I mean, it could be, yeah. I would say I start with Southern California. I mean, we've got, we, we have a lot of interesting dynamics and challenges here. It's a, compl- right. it's a yeah. complex issue. But yeah. I'm just curious as you think about using brand to drive a movement, using right. story to, to, you know, what, what your perspective is on that. Yeah. I think what you got to do is, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I really believe the great brands deliver the unexpected. So people know what they expect, let's say in San Diego, Orange County, they know what they expect. Mm-hmm. But what can you do to create an experience or a movement or a mindset? I call it almost like internal branding. Mm-hmm. How can we move minds of people to get on board on something that's really pretty cool? It's new, it's unique, they've never seen it before. Um, if it's just going to be taking certain initiatives and certain programs 
of certain um, causes and just reinvigorating them, it's, it's not going to suck anybody. Mm -hmm. so people want to be uplifted. Mm. They want to be ignited. They want to be sparked to get involved in something new, exciting. So I would, you know, and also I tell people all the time, it's not what you do, it's what you say. So for example, I, I, I did get a quick example, and I'm, I'm coming back to your question. The Minnesota Banker Association, I gave him a speech, and one of the CEOs called me, said, Larry, everybody sells college loans. Like every country club has a golf course and a girl mm -hmm. room. Every bank has CDs and savings accounts, the same thing. And every city has the same thing too. So you gotta say to yourself, what are the three or four or five things that we do really great or do better, but we haven't really promoted it. Yes, mm -hmm. we, know the, we know the neighboring town has that, but they're not doing anything about it. They're not mm -hmm. saying it. Mm -hmm. So the first brand to grab, a, I call it wrong in the ladder, and really devote themselves to talking about or showcasing an initiative or a movement or a, a cause or a philosophical endeavor or whatever, or e even just welcoming back veterans or something, saying, for example, like Orange County, you know, we are, we are the veterans, I'm just making it up now. Sure. We are the veterans welcoming back society. Well, San Diego can't, San Diego or San Fran can't say, and we do that too, too late. Sure. Sure. Orange County has already stamped in the minds of people, that's mm -hmm. our brand voice. So you, so you look under the brand umbrella, and you say, what are the things we're proud of as a community? Mm -hmm. What are the things that have gone by me by the wayside? What are some new ideas that we can really, and also, I don't want people telling me they think out of the box. Mm -hmm. That's a yawner. Mm -hmm. I, I, so, oh, we think out of the box. Yawn, yawn, yawn. I want people like in Orange County or like in your area, what can we do to be inventive? Let's invent things that people haven't seen before. Again, to deliver the unexpected, you get to create something they've never done before, seen before, because the only way we as consumers, our minds, get psyched to buy in, get involved, and donate time is something that's really pretty cool and fun. You know, so I would just say that you got to be inventive. And, you know, like I always tell people, don't try to be the best. I said earlier, be the only. What can the county or a certain region do that's an only? Be and when you do that, you get a lot of press. You get a lot of social media coverage. You'll, you'll be noticing the news. Again, because it's real. But, you know, it's like, you got to break through the mocking clutter. You got to break through the mocking noise today with something, again, I can't say it often, and you said a lot of the words before, but you got to be authentic. This cannot be a PR stint. It sure. can't be something fabricated. It can't be only a month long. It has to have sustainability, and, you, and the team or the organizers have to be committed to it. And when that happens, I mean, like wildfire, I mean, I shouldn't say that in California, yeah. wildfire. Yeah. yeah that but I know, what you're, I know what you're getting to. But so, Larry, that's so good. There's, there's a lot in there to, uh, to really uh, work with. So I appreciate thank that. You. So we are up against time. I just want to say thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. So much perspective, so much wisdom. Um, I mean, I know we can talk about brand building all day long, right? And uh, this is a great conversation. I think that my audience is going to take a lot away. Thank you for sharing how you think about brands, how you operate, and how you build better brands. Really appreciate you joining me. Well, thank you. And I wish, I wish you the very best. I, your audience, I wish them success in building their brands. But most importantly, let's all have a, um, a safe and a healthy and a well wellness Thanksgiving holiday season. And I look forward to talking with you again, even in, in better times. And also someday even meeting a lot of your audience in person. And that would be, uh, be wonderful. Take care. You too. Be well, my friend. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.